the psychology of sales is is a, a great title but it's just about let's be a bit more human about what we're doing about the words have power about the words we use in our own heads out loud in our teams uh, and how we refer to our customers as well and being honest about how you're you're feeling about the day that you're in welcome to another episode of big risk energy on this podcast, we talk to an amazing range of people. And we talk to these people about risk. Risk they've taken in their lives, risk they've taken in their careers, when they paid off, and when they didn't. And on this episode, I am blessed to be joined by the one and only Janice B. Gordon. Janice, thank you so much for joining me. Love it. So thank you so much for coming down. Really appreciate that. We had an amazing chat about a month ago. Um, and one of the things that really fascinated me and one of the things that I would love to dive into today, obviously with your incredible background experience in building out sales team and being a sales leader, um, is the psychology of sales. It's something that I find fascinating. I talk a lot about mental health. I speak a lot about mental health, neurodiversity. And one of the things that we discussed was what is the approach to sales when you are not feeling 100%? Because sales, to me, is about, do I trust this person? Do I like them? Are they confident? You know, Do I want to speak to this person? Talk to me about your view on psychology and sales. Maybe I'll share an experience of, of when it really hit me. Um, this was about eight years ago. My brother suddenly died, a younger brother. And, you know, you're running a business, you're an entrepreneur, you have to sell. I talk about sales. And it was the period of time when I was sadder. I mean, just really in my core, sad. I was going out, I was doing speaking engagements, I was delivering on my projects. But in my core, I wasn't right. And, it, and perhaps for a good couple of years and, and people that have been through mourning a, a death, uh, it's like a wave. It comes up and literally, <laughs> Roy, I have cried on trains, on buses, mm. on planes. And, you know, you just can't control it. So I learned a lot about myself. But what I learned is I couldn't sell. I just there's just no way I could sell. I just couldn't, I just didn't feel it. I didn't care. I really, it wasn't important. I didn't know what was important, but I just could not sell. I couldn't get on the phone. I couldn't speak to anybody. I could do the banter, the mm -hmm. patter. I could do what I knew about sharing my knowledge, but I couldn't in my soul tell anyone that this was something they should do in their product. And there was a real disconnect there. So it really made me think about when people are feeling sad. It may be not a death or it just some days you wake up and you just need to have a day to yourself. But then on the other side with sales, this very kind of macho bro mm. culture and very much focused on the numbers and hitting your quota and all of that. You're in this environment. And on a good day, when you're feeling good about yourself, that's not a problem. Mm you're not going to feel good about yourself every single day. Mm -hmm. You know, there's things that happen in your, your marriage, your life, you know, your, you, you know. So what happens then? Mm. What do you do then? And, um, yeah, I remember, the, you know, some of the things that, were, that we talked about. I think you've just got to recognise that humans are emotional animals and you need to have the ebbs and flows of immunity emotions in order to be real mm. and I know on social media we don't appear as real mm. because it's you know we we will doctor the images and we'll say really positive things even if you don't feel it it's fake it's calculated it, it's very much calculated but when you're in front of a customer you've got to be real mm. and that's part of what I love about sales but part of what I don't like about sales is that we're not really honest about being real about sales it's a human selling to another human mm. so there's one aspect in that we don't treat our customers with respect in the language we use hunter crushing it yeah. targets leads oh, these are humans these are human beings treat them use words with respect but you also use those words in on ourselves mm. and there's also something about the culture that that sales has has nurtured and they really have nurtured it and it's really dangerous to our our mental health 
So I think we need to kind of strip all of that out and be a bit more human and mm. really understand that to get the best out of your salespeople, you've got to understand them as individuals. Mm. And as individuals, human beings, emotional beings, there's going to be some days where they can't crush it and they shouldn't be crushing it and they shouldn't be killing anybody. I hate that. I remember <laughs> there was a, a, a guru and I was going to interview him for the podcast and he, he messaged me back and said, I hope you're crushing it and, you know, or killing it. And then I <laughs> messaged back and I said, A little bit violent that, yeah. I'm not killing anything today or, or even tomorrow. I never kill things. I try not to. And he was, I think, a little bit embarrassed and caught himself. Yeah. But he's so used to speaking about that that culture and because you know I'm considered a, a sales expert he thought it was all right mm. and it's not all right so the psychology of sales is is a, a great title but it's just about let's be a bit more human mm. about what we're doing about the words have power about the words we use in our own heads out loud in our teams uh, and uh, how we refer to our customers as well and being honest about how you're you're feeling about the day that you're in. Mm. And until you're open and honest about that, then it means that feeling is going to continue. The more that you talk about the, what you're feeling, then it the energy comes away from it. It's not, yes. not a big deal anymore, really. Mm. And so you, the next day you get up, you, you will be able to do what you are happy doing. But it's recognising there's going to be some days like that. Your buyers, strangely enough, they feel like that as well. Mm. And they're empathetic and they understand that as well. And I think the more real you are in the language you use and treating that person like a human, they respect you all the more like a human. So I think that we really need to start to break down this bro culture, this really hard culture about focusing on the numbers. Mm. If it, Scale yourselves, the, the framework that I, I've developed and, and I use, and it's, it's very much about understanding the buyers and the buyers' outcomes as humans and working back from there and designing a methodology, a process, a culture based upon your key customers and what you want to do for them. Mm. There's a lot of people that have a problem with selling. Even entrepreneurs and founders, Actually, are, yeah, those, <laughs> we see it. It's, it's a str and it's a struggle. And it's, I think the entre the and, and with our our um, audience in mind, you know, for a lot of founders, um, you know, for them it's selling as well, right? Yeah. You know, they're just selling equity to yeah. investors. They're selling a vision to to employees. They're selling to customers as well. Um, and you know, you can go through very very difficult times as founders, as we both know, as business owners and everything else. You know, you've you've got mouth to feed in, in multiple situations possibly you've got you know the upward pressure of an internal organization and the downward pressure of an external organization your shareholders your board everything else um so there's a lot of pressure on that side but you've got to you know be that face as well and that's why one of the reasons we um why we want to support so many people doing therapy in our organization because as you said when you can put words to the energy it really helps measure some of that but i'm fascinated to know because there'll be people listening to this who say well we've got a, a sales culture which is maybe more traditional numbers focused that side of things and it's going well but you must have seen so many situations where you've gone into a culture like that you've helped them evolve into the framework you discussed and seen amazing benefits even when it's already seemingly working well i was doing a talk and afterwards they were saying about yeah, their culture is very much the, the bro culture not on the numbers, but their customers are very much the bro culture on the numbers. It's all investment managers and so forth. Um, and so it's really difficult to get them to change that. Yes, it is. But do you want to be there in the future? Mm. <laughs> there are a lot of millennials there are in the decision making as your buyer's process and they don't get all of that and uh, whether you're in financial services or investment banking there's a lot of millennials that are coming in you can see that that's happening that's not the kind of environment they want to be in mm. and the people that were talking to me guess what they were millennials too <laughs> so they could recognize that this is what they need to do because they're managers that are not millennials that have grown up through the old bro culture so they're telling you to do things that they've always done mm. uh, 
what would we say about insanity? Now, the buyers the, you have moved, and that's why I get them to focus on, let's just understand what your market looks like now and what your market looks like in five years' time. I'm not asking you to change anything. I just want you to see... Um, your ideal customers, your current customers, what it looks like now and in the future, understand what their behaviours are. Suddenly the light bulb starts coming on. So I've worked with various organisations, so a smaller organisation, and I get the um, the pushback from the leader saying, well, we've worked with these um, founders and uh, uh, owners for the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we do is is working. It's hard out there, but, you know, that's what they like. They're not, and they tell me, they're not on social media. It's like, well, if you're not on social media, how do you know? <laughs> yeah. So they're not on social. So there's all of these pushbacks. Okay, so then my next question was, well, so some of these, the, these customers... How many would you say will be retiring in about five years? Maybe about 50% of my uh, the customers. Okay, so who's going to be taking over the company? Might they sell it or, you know, management buy it, whatever. Mm. What is the age range of the people that are taking over those companies? Suddenly that light bulb comes on. Yeah. Right? And another example, much larger global organisation. And uh, within nine months, we doubled their turnover. Wow. So traditional sellers, uh, I did a, um, uh, some training um, with them and worked with them for, for the next year or so. Now, those traditional sellers would work with Ministry of Education, educational boards. And the problem was that many of the customers that they, the customer, customer rather, that they worked with, liked the books mm-hmm. but when then fast forward 10 years many of those customer customers now are all on on their phones they're all on tablets and they're all online mm-hmm. so when you're selling books to a customer that's now changed that's online so they were selling less and less books sure i'm wondering why so you know their customers hadn't changed the ministries the educational but the customer customer had changed and the customer, customer doesn't want the books, so they're mm. not. And what was happening with the the edu, edu, regional education? They were losing their students because the students were going off online. Right. So what we did is, rather than selling more books, we started asking questions about what was happening in that country, in that environment, and their customer, customer. And once you start investigate rather than just selling but actually understanding the needs and the priorities of your customer and really getting onto the belly of that it's really simple you realize actually their customers don't want this so Mm. they changed the product they offered teachers training they offered um, online material they offered a hardware software all of this guess what the value of that was way higher than a number of books. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> way higher. Not only that, they've now locked in this customer for when the contract renews in four years because they've got all these digital vice- devices and software that need updating. Mm. This customer is now locked in for the next yeah, 10 years. That's a real annuity there as exactly. well. Exactly. Mm. So it's really about not going in thinking I'm going to sell. So this is also to the founders out there. You're not going in to sell. You're going in to serve. You're going in to solve a problem. Don't have an outcome in your mind. Who cares about your outcome? No one cares about your product. Yeah. It's the solution. It's it's what they're trying to achieve, was it, right? It's the customer, how they see it, how they value it, what's important to them, what do they want to do with it, what their outcomes, that's what's important and that's what you need to find out. And it's very interesting because that speaks um, very closely to the feedback loop that needs to exist between sales and product, right, and customer-facing people and product and especially in a startup environment where you know maybe you're having to build your own products and and having to, to you know originate those very quickly it's all about executing on that feedback loop in the quickest way possible and it always um it never fails to shock me how many entrepreneurs i speak to who saying our product isn't selling and it's like well are you listening to the customer because they'll tell you what you need to sell <laughs> You know, it's not a secret, like just listening and hearing, okay, that's what you actually need. I mean, that's the answer to what you should be selling. 
right? And I mean, obviously, you can be in a situation where you're selling into a big enterprise customer and it's all very bespoke and very niche, and that's that's slightly different. But still, very unlikely that you've got 10 people telling you, no, I don't want that. But if you had that, I would buy it. And if you're not listening, well, then, you know, you're missing it. And I think it's a big lesson to a lot of entrepreneurs is the idea that you go to market with is very, very rarely the idea you'll end up selling. Because being able to just pop out of nowhere this idea of what people want without speaking to them without listening it's just it's not how it works yeah I I totally agree with you I often say to sellers as well that uh, when your customer is complaining that's when you need to really love your customer Mm. they're going to tell you everything money can't buy that (laughs) that feedback it is fantastic you need to give them everything because the amount of knowledge that you're you're going to learn so yeah you've got to have constant feedback loops and and you're absolutely right I meet so many um, companies owners business founders and I say when was the last time you spoke to your your key customers now your key customers could be 50% of your revenue or renewals right when was the last time that you spoke to them not to sell anything to them but just co-created bounced around ideas learned how they're getting on how you know what is the take up here really understand how they're using your product Mm. who's having a difficulty where their barriers are yeah yeah it's it's really really interesting and i think um one of the things that i've seen over the last few years is it seemed like sales was really out of favor within tech startups for a long time and it was like well people don't really like a sales approach and people don't like this and that but what i've seen is as people are more focused now on revenue better unit economics focused on profitability actually there's a real new or refound i should say appreciation of the sales process and how important it is to be able to do that and i think especially for early stage businesses because that's how you get the feedback loop you need to be speaking to these people and it's you should be seeing a cost of sales actually as benefiting product you know, that that conversation is an amazing learning opportunity and, and, and is, is part of, of being able to build a better offering. Absolutely, absolutely. I worked in customer experience for a number of years and it completely changed the way that I, I thought about sales in that customers are your best innovators and creators. And it just astounds me that we do not bring them into the process Mm. to allow them to help us create better products and services. It's madness. They're using it day in, day out. Not us, not the developers. And when I did these customer journeys, so we're testing out a product or looking at a, a particular service, so we would design these journeys and get the chief executive, the marketing, the tech people, all to sit down with the customers. They couldn't, they had to zip it, not say anything. Watch the customer and go on the journey Journey, the customer always found the shortest most efficient route to do things and they, they thought well we haven't designed it that way but it was better it was always guaranteed it was always better so the more you can bring your customers into the process to help you co-create the next innovation the better the product's going to be the less cost you're going to put into developing and testing that product uh, as well and it just it astounds me that more organizations are not doing that yeah yeah absolutely so do you out of interest, you know, with all the amount of AI tooling that's coming through, what have you seen in terms of innovation within the sales space that is getting you excited? Not a lot. Oh, okay, <laughs> interesting. Not a lot. I'm I'm completely tired of the sales stack growing to fix the sales process that mm-hmm. is redundant. So, you know, we're innovating the wrong thing until we're really focused on on the buyers. The buyers are 70% through the journey before they're really interested in in us. So why are we so focused on a sales process that buyers don't want to take? So I'm not seeing a lot of innovation that is really focusing on bringing, making sure that the customer is controlling the process. Because guess what? The customer is controlling the process. So, so yeah, we, I think we need to start, stop, start to abandon the sales process and start to embrace the buying process. And that's what we need to be innovating, bringing that much closer to, to the way that we're working. That's really interesting. I, I really love that way of looking at it. And I suppose that that's, um, you know, again, go back to 
how people may view their own business or their own product differently because they are selling or owning it versus buying it. Because, you know, the amount of times I'll see a, an entrepreneur use a product and pick out different things which are wrong with it, which, you know, of course, there's always there's always areas for improvement um, because they're looking at it as a buyer. But then when they look at their own product or their own process it's like oh no that, that makes sense to me it's again it makes sense to you because you built it but you're not seeing it through the same lens right. so I, I love the idea of making it a, a, a bar a, a purchase less led process very much so very much so this you know the sales stack is enormous and that tells you something really there's all of these things that's wrong that needs needs to be fixed and so we want to get data out of the sales process so we can sell better we shouldn't be selling better we should be allowing buyers to buy better and if we focus more on that then we'll, we don't need the sales stack to be quite so big um, and we would be more efficient in the way that we do it we're delivering exactly what customers want how they want it when they want it and so it's so much more efficient so if, you, if you're a young entrepreneur listening to this and you have built your product uh, and you're ready to start selling what are your, your initial tips? Where, where do they start? Well, you have you got your customer advisory group in place? If you haven't, don't start selling until you have. You will want a group. Who are your early adopters? They're the ones that you need to ensure that they're part of your team. And you need them to help you to quickly, you said the product that you have when you begin your, your business is not the product you have at the end. You need to shorten that process. How are you going to do that? You're going to bring your early adopters in and they're going to be part of your team. And they're going to be the ones where you're going to quickly innovate with them. That's what you need to be doing. That's amazing. That was so succinct as well. Like that's such good actionable advice to young entrepreneurs. I love that. That's um could I could no way have said that better, uh, but but you're totally right. You know that's that's the that, that's the opportunity. That is the opportunity. I'm just leveraging off you, Roy. <laughs> um, so what? Tell me a bit more about your journey, though, because how did you, obviously you're a sales leader now, you're an expert, but wh where did it start? Yeah, I used to um, sell designs, mm -hmm. and uh, I remember I used to go out all night clubbing, all dayers, and everything like that, Northern Soul and jazz. Okay. And I used to make an outfit for each each time I went out, and then I I got several orders. And this was when I was fourteen. Yes, I was below age, but <laughs> I was also an early adopter. <laughs> and so I'd be going out, and I'd get all of these orders. I'd make more clothes, and then you know, so it would go on uh, every month. So I didn't recognise that as, as selling or even entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, many years uh, later, I'd go out to uh, America and I had sample designs because I was doing a, a degree in textile design fashion and we created samples. So I took the sample de designs out to America and uh, because my English accent, then I got a lot of doors opening and I tell you what, it was really astounding. When I sold in England, then people don't recognise I'm a black woman, guys, right? Okay, so they didn't recognise that because, you know, where I grew up in... I, um, and as soon as I walked in, their mouth would drop. So whether it was Sanderson, Liberties, all of these, these mm. companies and... Uh, but when I went to America, it would be my mouth that was dropping, honestly, because I'd go in and you'd see this black woman that was chief executive of an organisation. Now, at that time, you didn't even have black tellers in banks. Wow. So it was going out to America. I was doing a degree. You, yeah. th you would think that I knew a thing or two. Yeah. But I was going out to America and I just accepted the environment I was in was the the global environment. This is how things were. Mm. I just accepted that. I accepted my place in the world. And then I went out to America and I realised, hang on a moment. That is not my place in the world. There's more out there, really. So my experience of, of selling was also a kind of a milestone moment as well of realising there was so much more. Wow. Wow. And I mean, that must be such an eye opening experience, as you said. And how much did that impact when you came back to the UK? It's like, no, I'm going to do things differently now that I've seen it. Um, it, it affected everything in my mind. But the problem was you're coming back into an environment where nothing has changed. Mm. So you still got to kind of conform. The rules of the game haven't changed. 
And to be quite honest, the rules of the game still haven't really changed that much. Some, someone asked me last night, you know, do you think racism has uh, has changed in the UK? And I said, well, since the 1970s, uh, 70s, it was progressing to the 1990s and progressed a bit more. And it's gone right back to the 1990s. Really? Post-Brexit, most definitely, yeah. Wow. And, uh, you know, I was saying that... If you're if you're not subjected to these things, you're not aware of them because mm. you know if you happen to have good luck to you, you know privileged access, then how would you be aware of really what's going on? Yeah, and it's only really in the last couple of years, you know, Me Too movement and Black Lives Matters and everything that a lot of things have been exposed. I mean, look at the police. Mm. When we go back to um, Stephen Lawrence and the, how many reports have we had about the police and they're still denying that there's institutional racism. And until you actually accept where you are, nothing's really going to change. How mm. many years is this? Yeah. 30 years? Yeah, yeah. So that just gives you an example anyway. I know this is another mm. subject. No, no, <laughs> I, look, it's an, obviously such an important subject to talk about. And, and it's um, really interesting to hear that you can identify Brexit as being a, a real trigger point in terms of, of things starting to, to roll back in terms of attitudes. And, you know, I think we are an incredibly divided society. Mm. You know, there is more and more as time goes on and i think social media might have a big part to play in this in terms of people get more and more reinforced in their views it feels like there is a massive divide in the uk and and, and even globally between progress and and you know moving backwards and it really saddens me i was born here this is my country this is this is my home it it, it, it more than saddens me um it's not what i want it to be and uh, you know i I don't know what's going to happen going forward and I don't really see much of a change and mm. uh, we were thinking we were talking uh, before we started recording about technology and education and how other countries are really accelerating yeah. and you know this is the country I was born in and the country I'd love and I, I want more I mm. want I want it to be better and um, I don't know what the answer is is to that well for me you know you've got to look at at the top in many ways and look what's going on there and i can't believe you've got a situation where you have someone running the country who's worth 750 million pounds who's an ex-hedge fund and i've got nothing wrong with ex-hedge fund people but i think most people who have gone through the hedge fund system will tell you that they are not very aware of the reality of issues on the ground right that is the reality of, of when you are living in a totally different narrative and a totally different mindset where your issues are so far removed from the issues of of most people um you can't expect that we're going to have good messaging we're going to have sent you know sensible policy sensible narrative coming down from people who have got no idea what reality is i do think it, it uh the greatest impact can be made at the top but i think if we're looking for the government to make it then we might as well <laughs> shut up shop and go home honestly but i do think there's a responsibility to the organizations out there and mm. that's something you can control so that you have leaders in all organizations that are more aware and they're the ones that can put more pressure on the government mm. um but yeah i i don't look for the government to to do too much really I, my expectations are relatively low but I do look to organizations I do think they have an, uh, a responsibility and you know I do on social media poke at them because yeah. I want them to do better and I do think I mean nowadays you have organizations and we all know who they are that uh, have more power and more money than whole countries absolutely so I th and I th I do think it's also people power there's one thing with social media that you have communities that do have a say and are not afraid to use their voice and mm -hmm. they can be very influential. So then that comes down, all of us have a responsibility. We can't look to other people to do it. We need mm. to all start doing something ourselves. And that's that's along with kind of saving the, our, our, our environment as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's fascinating. And, and you're right that there are huge companies which have far more power than governments and governments can't regulate or control them because they are you know, across multinations, right? And it's very difficult to govern things which are beyond your jurisdiction. However, where I do think they can put more pressure, and, and this is the reality of having a, a ex-hedge fund owner as the prime minister, is realistically a lot of his friends are massive shareholders in these companies. And I can tell you as a CEO that if when I get pressure from shareholders, that's really what's going to make me wake up the quickest. So 
in many ways, although not directly, lots of the people involved in government. And if you look at the contracts being handed out, and you know, you don't need to look, you don't need to look far to find out how interlinked uh, government is with private shareholders and private companies. Actually, in in non traditional uh, formats, non traditional mediums, they can have big impacts on these organisations because uh, they are the shareholders in many cases. I do, but many of the shareholders come from the same source. Yeah. Right. So, and and I've met Richie um, Sunak. He says all the, you know, the right things. Mm. Um. And so I'm I'm not putting it all on on one person. Of course. I do think though, if we have a community, that community becomes the shareholders. You buy the shares. You go to the share meetings, and you're the ones that have a voice. So don't rely on the shareholders that have come from Eton, mm. you know, to be representing you. Actually, what you need to do is get together as community, and that's what I love about the world that we live in. We do all have the power. We just need to organise ourselves. Mm. If we put all the right people together that have one voice. We're the ones that are bigger than even the largest organisations. We're the ones that can bring them down. So we're the ones that have the power. But we just need to recognise that and start to organise ourselves. And the fact that we are in the technological age we are in now means that we can do that. Mm. So recognise that you are in control of your own destiny. It's just whether you want to take the action or not. And if you look at the Arab Spring, for example, 2011 and the years following that, that's a great example of people utilising technology to, you know, really collectively make a big difference. And even if you look more recently at France and, and you know, they're not afraid to, to organise and, and let the government know and let other people know what they're thinking. But it's funny because, you know, you, you mentioned the environment before and I always, um, you know, I, I have controversial views on reality and what reality might or might not be in terms of how much is in our perception how much is factual and and the big gap that exists between the two right but i see um you know videos on on instagram on tiktok of just stop oil protesters and people responding to the just stop oil protesters by throwing them out the street beating them up whatever it might be and it upsets me not because i think necessarily just stop oil protesters are going about it the right way But where they're coming from is trying to protect the environment. Where they're coming from is trying to do the best by individuals, by, you know, by humans, by our future and and trying, you know, protect a world that we need. Although a lot of people seem to forget it, you know, protect the world that we need. And I think um, that's where the division comes in, right, is you've got people who want to take action, want to do the right thing, and people who believe that taking that action is the wrong thing and it's um it's a it's a real shame because ultimately i think the people who are getting inconvenienced by just stop oil are not looking at the bigger picture i would say there's several ways to well we don't want to skin a cat too we're not <laughs> doing any of those violent things but you know there's seven several ways to approach anything and yeah it's a little bit of inconvenience for people and it gets on 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 the news and uh there's always going to be people that say oh you know they're troublemakers and and whatever but it gets on the news doesn't it we're used to what normally gets on 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 the news and so i think there's there's several approaches you know so that's one approach to protest to make yourself you know um uh you know an inconvenience Mm. uh there is the shareholder approach, mm-hmm. buy your shares, get a voice. Um, there's, you know, speak to, um, complain with your MPs. There are several approaches. Get your organisations. Be- I think we've got to do them all. Mm. We've got to do them all because there's always going to be someone that's listening to the protesters that will then it will motivate and activate them to take action. Yes. There's going to be somebody, you, you know, the kids have got to be speaking to their parents you know, and educating their parents because it's often the kids that know more about of what's going on in the world than their parents that are li- that reading the same kind of yeah. newspapers or listening to the same radio stations. And, you know, the BBC's got a lot to answer for in mm. the kind of 
mind-numbing indoctrination that they do and they don't allow kind of um, free speech and they, they're always propping up, you know, like the David Starkeys and, and things like mm-hmm. that, you know, that then comes and bites them. You know, there's, there's a lot to be answered for. But we do have social media. We're, we're so lucky to be in the age we're in at the moment because we do, there isn't just one source of information anymore. And there's several ways in order to campaign. Mm. The important thing is we are campaigning. We've got to do it. Just choose your lane. Choose the way that you want to do it and do it. Mm. That's the important thing. Take action. doesn't matter how you do it, but you need to do it because we have got, what, how long? Ten years before we're all screwed. Yeah. So, Ten years might be being optimistic. Well, you know? might be, yeah. So start doing it now. Leave, yeah, leave ex- this podcast now and start taking action. Exactly. No, I, I, I'm... I'm not going to be criticising someone that's inconvenienced me because they've decided that this is the way that they want to campaign and take action. What I will criticise is someone that's complaining and not taking any action, whether it's writing to your MP, whether it's buying the shares. You have got to do something. Mm, Otherwise, it's armchair activism, right? Exactly. And, you know, I haven't got time for that. My life is too short. Yeah, well, that's it, right? If you're going to make the noise, you've got to make the actions. Mm. Uh, Otherwise, it's not very helpful. Yeah. Um, super, super interesting. I mean, we could we could go down the ra- this rabbit hole, you know, I- in a big way. But there's there's five questions I ask every guest, and not quick fire or anything. But would love to learn more about you through these questions. So, what is the single biggest risk you've ever taken, and what was the outcome? Ooh, biggest risk? Uh, probably haven't taken it yet. Really. Hopefully, okay. there's more to come. I think the. Uh, probably a milestone when I left home when I was 17 um it was not great at home and my parents were divorcing and fallout um for that um I'm quite emotional about this actually that's okay. quite surprised me yeah so I left home the the reason why I'm emotional it was it, it was quite difficult but it led to other things so the mm. outcome in terms of then I left Leicester and went to Brighton. Mm-hmm. Then I left and went to America and I told you about that experience, which was mind-blowing. Then I left and went to live in Botswana. So all these places, I didn't really know anybody, but I, you only need to take the first step mm. into the unknown and you realise it didn't kill you, you survived, you learnt lots. So then that gives you the courage to make the, the next step, which is bigger, and mm. the next step, which is bigger. So I could literally pick up and go and live anywhere in the world wow and survive and be okay that must be very freeing knowing that you can do that right no matter what happens you'll be okay yes it is but then on the other side as you get older you're you get more fearful mm. just actually i see it in my my parents the world gets smaller so as much as you can do more you talk yourself out of it you know mm. that little monkey on in your brain yeah. um so you need to force that you need to encourage yourself and you know keep stepping off um, so yes, I am. I'm very self-sufficient because of that. I mean, the downside of that is that, um, and I feel guilty about this. And and guys, I've had therapy. I deal with it, kind of stuff. Um, my younger brothers. I left two um, younger brothers that were ten. So I was seventeen. There was ten, and mm-hmm. I was a bit of a, a, a cushion to them. Mm-hmm. So I kind of left them exposed, really. And I feel guilty about that. And yeah, my therapy. It's not my responsibility. I know that, but I do. Yeah. And you know, these are the things that kind of make you or break you really yeah absolutely and it's a it's a you know a really strange thing about life is that we're all walking around with a lot of pain and everyone goes through it in different ways and different formats and we all go through it and it's like one of those unspoken things about that no one really tells you by the way a lot of life is going to be walking around with this you know unseen pain and a lot of life is and a lot of our decisions and thoughts and perspectives are going to be um really formulated and shaped by a lot of that pain but it's um i think the the thing which is beautiful about humanity is that we all go through it right yeah and you know i'm i'm not a buddhist um, but that's as close to the, it's not really a religion, it's mm. as close to it as I get. And life is suffering, but you don't have to suffer. Mm. You know, so if we understand life is suffering, but you don't have to suffer. So it's finding, okay, well, how do I get to a point where I'm not suffering? What do I need to do? How do I need to control that monkey? Yeah. You know, my brain, how I think about things, my perspective on the world. What do I need to do? What's what's my stance in the world? So. Yes. 
Um, but if you understand that's where your biggest lessons are as well, you can't avoid it. You know, yeah. pain, um, death, all of these, you cannot avoid them. No. But you learn so much through it, really. Absolutely. And it's one of the things that I find fascinating about meditation and uh, the idea of there being freedom in consciousness in the sense that if consciousness is made up of every single thing that exists either within our mind or, or well, it's just within our consciousness. And that could be the feel of this table, it could be this glass, it could be my thoughts, it could be my emotions, it could be my feelings, whatever it might be. But our attention is what we spotlight, right? And the freedom in many ways is that I can decide to put my attention on my feelings, but it's equally as real and equally as occupying to my consciousness for me to look into that camera. And in many ways, that is how you deal with the suffering of life, right? It's where do I put my attention, you know? And, and I can put the attention on the negative feelings. I can put the attention on the positive feelings. I can put attention on the learning. But when you can control your mind, you can really have that um, that freedom. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I love what you've, you've just said. And I think what I was thinking of is the important thing is to be present, mm -hmm. is to really understand what you're feeling. Because when you recognise it, we talked about this before, when you 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 know you're feeling the feeling you can decide to do something about it. It's when you try and block it out mm -hmm. um, and you can then decide that you're going to distract it or move on to something else. But you've got to be present in where you're at at mm. that moment in time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's why one of the most important parts of anyone's journey is really unearthing what's in their subconscious because there can be things which are impacting you that you can't acknowledge and that you can't the only way to do that is to surface those things somehow and that way you can deal with those and, I, and it, it's a really really fascinating topic to go into and, and as i often say in this podcast i wish i had a scientist here <laughs> just to well, give me either some validation or just shoot me down in what i'm saying you know but i think there is so much which um you know People are looking for highs in life. People are looking for ways of, of escaping. Honestly, journey into your own mind and learn about the mind. I mean, that is the only drug you'll ever need. That is the only uh, uh, you know exploration you'll ever need is learning about the mind and, and how we all um, you know learn from ourselves and what what goes on around us. I think the the greatest high is meditation. Yeah, is you know that is uh, uh, honestly it can be so powerful but it's with everything you have to work at it you need mm -hmm. to practice it yeah absolutely no it's um uh you, you meditate then yeah, lot, yeah what, what do you do you use in the apps do you use any, i want to give people advice on this i do yoga so there there is you know different types of of meditation mm -hmm. so there is the meditation where you clear your mind and, and that's very difficult to do when you've got you know all this chatter going on and so sometimes i'll go into that and i get really deep mm -hmm. i mean really i'm somewhere else completely and it's scary yeah um but i can go very deep and then the other kind of meditation is actually being aware of everything mm -hmm. and letting it go. So it's, you know, you don't focus on it at all. And that's quite a relaxing one where you're just traveling through things, really, and clearing your mind in that way by practicing not focusing on the, th on the noise in the street that's happening yeah. and things and just accepting. And you come out of that and there's a lot of things in my day that I still suddenly start to accept. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, there's different types. Of, and I think the key to accessing meditation is to try different ones and mm -hmm. see what works with you. Agreed. And when it really works, then also try something else. Because once you've developed a practice, you may find another level with a different one. So not one. there isn't one way to meditate. There are, are different ways, but whatever works for you. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, by the way. You know, if you can get into that real attention practice and, you know, you can leave your body. You know, yeah. you can go hundreds of miles away from where you are. And Absolutely. it's and it's one of those things that's got to be experienced to, to be believed. And, you know, five, six years ago before I started meditating, if someone said that to me, I would think it was bullshit, to be honest. And then you get to that place where it's like you can go to other dimensions. You know, just sitting there is um, is an incredible feeling. But don't you I find when it first happens, it's really scary. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. is. And I remember my, my yoga teacher um, said to me, you know, uh, you just have to go with it. Mm. 
just keep going, keep going. Yeah. Go with it, really. And I just think that many, I, I, that's a slither of what I think many Buddhists do. Mm. And they, they're exploring the whole universe of it. And I've had one slither of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, um, and I wish I understood the science behind this so I could talk about this in a way that doesn't make me sound like an idiot, but we're going to give don't it a sound go. Like an idiot. But, you know, if ultimately, if we did come from the Big Bang, whatever it is, ultimately everything is connected. Everything has that starting point. Everything comes from the same stars. And therefore, the idea that there is a connection, that there is an ability to conceive of, um, perceive, you know, understand other parts of the universe, if we all came from it, you know, sometimes you've got like a, a sixth sense with your brother or your parent, whatever it might be. It's because you come from the same place. But we all do. You know, it's really funny you say that. Um, I got a phone call at 10, 10 o'clock at night and, you know, the call. And then afterwards, I had to drive to Leicester, which is the hardest drive I have ever done. But actually, then I re remembered that I had a premonition about this phone call. And I always said, I'm going to die um, young. And because I thought that phone call meant me. Mm. But I knew 20 years prior to this, I was going to get that phone call. So then... We have a lot of insight and premonitions and things that we don't understand. They make no sense to us at the time. And then it's only later you make those those connections. So there is something in there. There's there something is. bigger than, than us, you know. And, yeah, it's really, really powerful. There definitely is. And, I, and, you know, there are things that we know happen in consciousness that humans can't perceive so for example i think the praying mantis certain types of snakes they can see infrared right so there are waves that exist that are measurable by science that we can't see so there are things that we can't see but there are also things that we know that exist that we can't measure yet so for example there's a certain type of coral um, and they exist in lots of places different you know around the world and if you take that bit of coral from wherever it is in Australia, let's just say, you bring it to London, just because the other side of the world, that's why I'm using these examples, and this coral, which is spread out throughout the world, every single year starts its um, either like fertilization process, whatever the process is, but it's at a different time every single year. It's not like in line with the moon, not in line with, with tides or anything like that. Like It's never the same time, but it happens simultaneously across every single one of this type of coral every single year. They do it at the exact same moment, even when they're with that, and no one can figure out how they're able to align, how they're able to do it simultaneously. So there is some type of connection between them that we can't measure, right? So there are, ver there are obviously things that exist that science has not found the answers to yet and that we can't see, but are undeniably out there. And I know we've been dry, uh, did, didn't expect from sales to uh, <laughs> telekinetic coral, but um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, we, we could we could do five hours on this. Yes. <laughs> okay, my next question for you is: What are you proudest of? This is really hard one for me. I'm I'm I hold myself to the highest highest standards, even when I've you know had a, had a team in, employed a whole team of staff. I find it really cool. Do you know what I'm going to say? I'm me. Right. Because if you're if you are not proud of yourself, then what is the point? Who can you influence? So I, I'm gonna say me. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. As you should be. As <laughs> you should be. Okay, my next one for you is what does it take to be successful? I think success is means different things to different people mm -hmm. so in what it takes is the measurement of that will be a different measurement for everybody i remember when i wrote my first book business evolution creating growth and rapidly changing world i very much talked a lot about purpose mm -hmm. finding your purpose and the kind of foundation to that is understanding your 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 core values makes me think of another thing um trevor noah asked uh, oprah winfrey mm -hmm with all of the people that you've interviewed, what is the kind of real common denominator through these successful people? And she said, they all have a goal, a goal, a purpose. And that's the thing that focuses them. They commit to it every single day. That's how they achieve their results. And I thought, you know, having a goal, a purpose, a reason, understanding, we've all got 
our DNA tells us we're uniquely different. And so we've got to understand that our purpose is unique to us. Our goal yeah. is unique to us. What success means is unique to us. And our life goal is to go out and do it. Mm. Not to find it, you know, like it's, but actually just live it. Live our purpose and our goal. It's amazing. Beautifully put. So every day can be your success. Mm. Every single day. Yeah, and, and I think it's such a good point that success looks so different to everyone. So I, I love that definition. And that really allows it to mean everything to everyone. All right, my last question for you is, 15-year-old Janice walks in the room right now. What are you telling her? Oh, wow. These questions. <laughs> oh, the reason why I said uh, my response to this, when I was 15, I was told by a teacher that I'm not intelligent enough to do A-levels. And, um, yeah, my response now would be an F you. But at <laughs> that time, it, 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 he uh, created these barriers for me to do A-levels at that school. Then I had to go to two other schools and all, all of that. You know, I'm now more qualified than he could ever be if he's still uh, around. And I did go back to the school and do a bit of an F you, you know, to all of the people. Don't let ever let anyone tell you you can't. Who? How do they know that your path? You don't even know your, your path. So just, you know, put one step in front of the other. Um, so that was my kind of defining moment. And it took me a while to find myself because all of those micro messages, born, brought up in the UK, all of those micro messages are borrowed into your brain. And here you are, you know, founder, entrepreneur, doing what you do. All of a sudden, those micro messages come back and bite you and tell you that you're not good enough, you know, all of that. And you have to fight against those because it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, it doesn't matter how old you get, then those things come back when you're feeling particularly low, mm -hmm. not so strong, they come back. So to all of those teachers and influencers, bosses, people out there, just think about that worm that you're borrowing into somebody's brain. Really think about that. And if you want the responsibility of having done that, you know, it's all wrong. So, yeah, what I tell myself at 15 is that someone else's experience is historic and not your your future experience so f you love that that's great there you go okay <laughs> what would you like to plug oh i'd love people to go to um, my podcast you're coming on very yep. soon i'm looking forward to that scale yourselves um podcast and yeah reach out to me and say that you heard me here and uh yeah connect with me on linkedin and don't forget the b janice b gordon so i'd love to hear from everyone amazing thank you so much for coming on the show I've loved it. Thank you very much, Roy. Thanks for watching the episode. And if you haven't subscribed, please hit subscribe below so that you can support the podcast and we can keep on bringing you amazing new guests. If you want to see the other amazing episodes in this podcast, click into our series section. As ever, if there are any other guests or topics you want us to explore, just let me know in the comments and we'll do our best to bring someone in.